to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. If you're new here, I am an evolutionary astrologer, and I've been writing weekly forecasts for the last four years and seeing clients and teaching astrology. And I started this podcast to have more conversations about the things that come up on the spiritual path, on the personal development path, um, which I believe that these two things are connected People don't necessarily need to be spiritual to be on a personal development path. However, I'm a very spiritual person and I'm also really interested in psychology and I can't help but see how these things intertwine, especially when we talk about things like shadow work when we're on the spiritual path um, so that we can live more integrated lives in all these different spheres of reality. So some of the episodes on this podcast are about astrology and a lot are not necessarily about astrology, but this one is definitely an astrological episode because we're talking about the eclipses, which are an astrological event. It's eclipse season currently. We have two eclipses coming up in July. And eclipses are new and full moons that involve the ecliptic. So that is the plane in space where the orbit of the moon around the earth intersects the earth's orbit around the sun. Maybe you visualize that. Maybe you already know this. Um, I think it can take a minute and just pause and kind of visualize that, or you could even look it up online, find like a graphic of it or something. But this ecliptic um, is very karmic. In a natal chart, when we talk about the nodes, like what's your nodes, um, usually people are talking about the lunar nodes, though all the planets have nodes. But the lunar nodes relate to what's coming in and out um, of Earth at any given time. So in a natal chart, the south node will represent things from our karmic past, ego structures, personality structures that we've had in prior lives. And the North Node will represent things that we're developing in this lifetime. So what happens when we have a lunation, a world transit of a new or a full moon that involves the ecliptic? These are the time periods that we call eclipses. And there's actually a different feel in the air when these come up. So in this episode, I interviewed Rosie Finn, an astrologer who resides in Olympia, Washington, and has been practicing astrology full-time since 1999. In this episode, we talked about what eclipse season is, so where it is in time, what the characteristics of eclipse season are, and we talked about the mythology of the lunar nodes and the ecliptic based on Vedic astrology. I met Rosie when I lived in Olympia, Washington. I lived there for seven years. I was there for my undergrad, and then I also began my astrology practice while living there. And Rosie is someone that I've gotten a lot of readings from, that I've studied astrology with, and someone who has really been there for me during difficult passages in my life. Um, and that's really deep. You know, the, you have people. You have healers, you have a team in your life, people that can help you through these kind of dark valleys. Astrology definitely is 
a guiding light or like a beacon of sorts. You know, we can look to it for how to interact with our life in more life enhancing ways when things are just kind of normal or good. And it's also something that we can turn to when life is confusing or we're extremely distraught or we're even having a dark night of the soul. So I think you'll also be able to sense from this episode that Rosie is pretty deep into a spiritual life and has been for a while. And the way that she's approaching astrology is coming at it from both this predictive and, you know, astrology is a very academic kind of art as well. You have to study it and spend time with it and it will deepen. And so she's coming at it from that angle as well as this spiritual centeredness, which I think is what makes her such a profound astrologer. And, you know, I only hear good things about her when I meet people on the road or like at astrology conferences who are like, oh yeah, I've gotten readings from Rosie too. And it's like a moment of bonding, like, oh yeah, you know, Rosie too. And she's a very beloved astrologer. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you and You will also find information in this episode about the eclipses that are happening in July, though we focused on eclipses in general. So this episode has something to offer you, even if you're tuning in after July of 2019, in which case you can also think back to what happened during that time and see if some of the things that we brought up in this episode correlated with the experiences that you had or sheds light on the quality of this time. And that might give you more insight as to what happened during this time period of your life. And of course, if you are catching this close to the time of this episode's publication, you can use this in a sense as a way of seeing what's ahead and what the themes are of these current eclipses. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for joining me, Rosie. Oh, thank you, Sabrina, for having me. It's it's wonderful to see you again. And do this with you. It is so good to see you again. Um, For the listeners, I have seen you countless times for readings and you've really helped me through difficult passages in my life. And I'm really grateful for your teachings um, and just all that you've shared with the community in Olympia. Thank you. And it's wonderful to watch you grow and unfold and uh, watch your work take off. Thank you. And so you have a background in engineering before you got into astrology. And I'm really curious about your background in general and what brought you to astrology, as well as what kind of astrology you practice today. Yeah, I was an engineer um, in the 80s. And I worked as a research engineer for a big Fortune 500 company and had a series of challenging events happen in my life in 87. And it brought me into a deep spiritual exploration, which landed me in an ashram. And I was just going to the ashram for a couple of months in between uh, work and grad school. And the ashram is what kind of changed everything for me and put me on a different path in life. And that eventually unfolded into astrology. That's really cool. I didn't know that about you. And so then you've gotten into Vedic astrology as well. Mm -hmm. What is your practice with Vedic and do you still do modern and combine them? Yeah, I... I was writing a book on sacred geometry and I wanted to understand the ninth harmonic. So I started delving into Vedic and then it kept 
I kept studying it and studying and studying it. So that was about five years ago. And I'm still, I'm studying with Dennis Flaherty and doing his mentorship program. And I do both in a session and I separate them, although I look for the common themes between them. So I'll see, um, I'll start with the Western because that's what I know the most and particularly exploring purpose through the Western. And then I'll go over to the Vedic and, um, I particularly uh, find the Dasha system with Vedic astrology to be really profound. And so there is some overlap between the two, but um, I keep them, I keep them separate. When I do that the makes reading. sense. Yeah. yeah. And so we're talking about eclipses today and mm-hmm. I feel like eclipses are very karmic and yeah. So because of that and talking about the lunar nodes, I'm wondering what you have to say about karma before we dive into talking about eclipses. What is karma? Well, I think of karma as the response in reality to our actions. And I believe in past lives. And I think that our souls accrue a resonance, uh, a, a form, uh, a vibrational, a vibrational sequence, and that that develops over lifetimes, and it develops in response to our actions, and that's what I think of as karma. Not necessarily negative or positive, but just the uh, the reaction in the universe to our to the work we do. Right, that makes sense. It doesn't have to be about yeah punishment or yeah that yeah. kind of thing, but it is cause yeah. and effect. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. eclipse season, do you think that it's fair to say eclipse season is a karmic time period? I mean, every time is karmic, mm-hmm. but is there an especially karmic character <laughs> of eclipse season? And if so, or, you know, in general, what is eclipse season characterized by? Uh, yes, I think it's a more um, powerful time in terms of the soul work. So the eclipses happen when the nodes of the moon align with the sun and the moon. And the nodes in both Western and Vedic astrology hold the soul, uh, hold the direction of the soul. And so when the north node or the south node lines up with the sun or the moon, then the alignment is, is bringing out the soul work. And I think of this time period first i like to sit with how profound eclipse season is that we live on this planet that the sun and the moon appear to be the same size even though they're vastly different sizes and vastly different distances away from from our planet and the whole essence of or an essence of humanity that we're working with is the aspect of duality and the positive, negative, feminine, masculine, black, white, and that the sun and the moon hold this polarity. And when we have an eclipse, the sun and the moon get together and we have this powerful awareness that this duality that we think we're living in all the time isn't is an illusion. It is an illusion. And so the eclipse brings out the soul work through this uh, having to confront the illusion that we're separate or that we are 
finite in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm wondering what soul work means in the context of, you know, what's going on in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. I, I find that soul work is something that's difficult to be named unless you're tuned in intuitively. It's an experience sometimes where we don't understand what's happening in our lives because it feels like there's an there's a, a deeper un- meaning or deeper understanding to what's happening in our life. And the soul, from the way I understand it, is is in the process of developing into greater consciousness. And the lessons we get in life and the experiences we create are about supporting our soul's development into more awareness, more consciousness, more compassion. And that may be a difficult journey for us, or maybe it comes with greater ease. Yeah, because it sounds like there's a dynamic between the ego or the personality and the soul as well. And so there might be certain circumstances that we face that don't make sense to us at the personality layer, but it kind of racks us at that layer and brings us into a deeper experience of self, which is the soul. Um, And then eclipse season brings up, would you say more events or more like manifestations of things that bring us in touch with the soul? Yeah, I think that the eclipses uh, are like a an atomic bomb going off. It's the separation. It's the molecules separate, and they give us a greater chance to experience what our soul is, what our truth, the truth of our life is. Having uh, watched my closest friend die in the last couple of months, I got to witness just uh, her transition and have a lot of conversations with her after she died and be in the presence of, well, that's her soul hanging around talking to me. And it's a very real physical thing that I had the experience of. I could feel her presence in different places. And uh, it's been the most visceral experience of the soul other than my uh, out-of-body experiences, which also is that experience of whatever that thing is, that essence is, that can see my body from outside of my body. And uh, that's a real thing that has memories and understandings and an awareness. Wow, you do really deep work, Rosie. And I've always appreciated um, when I've come to you for help that like, you have the bandwidth and depth to hold these really deep experiences. And I feel like astrology definitely is supportive for that context. Um, yeah, astrology is profound, <laughs> isn't it? It gets us to, I, I feel like every time I get to do a chart with someone, I get to witness their soul and then their story of the life that they're living that is sort of the container for the soul at that moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so eclipse season, what is that technically in terms of time? Like, do you have a, a perception mm-hmm. on when it starts and when it ends? Yes, I use uh, two weeks on either side of the eclipses. 
So it will begin with either the new moon or the full moon prior to it, and then two weeks after. And that's like the range of the core experiences. And then uh, six weeks out from it, you can start seeing some of the effects of the eclipses. So like the, uh, the six week is kind of more the mm, shadow around it. And then the core time is the two weeks. Yeah. It's so funny. Sometimes I start to talk about eclipses while we're already in eclipse season, which we are right now. Uh And I feel like it hasn't occurred to me yet to like talk about eclipses too far in advance. Maybe I have, it just, it, it feels like I start to grok what eclipses are when they're happening. And I guess also looking back in time at what happened during previous eclipses, um, I really am interested in the mythology of the lunar nodes when it comes to this dragon that the lunar yeah. nodes are. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us about this dragon and how it correlates yeah. to the south and north nodes. Yeah. So this comes mostly out of Vedic astrology. And uh, the, the nodes uh, were originally this one serpent or naga. And nagas are, they're serpents, but they're also uh, correlate more with the Chinese dragon. So uh, some people even call them a dragon. So they're, they have some snake-like qualities to them, but it's not, uh, it's closer to a dragon than to a snake, the, the Naga serpent. And originally the, uh, the dragon um, was, and I'm just going to look up this name, Ritra. And Vritra, um, there's a, a certain demonic kind of presence or mythology that goes along with the Naga, as if they bring in the shadow side. In fact, the nodes in Vedic astrology are called Chayagrahas, which means shadow planets. And so they they bring up the the things that we have shoved away or have pushed under. And uh and Vritra uh was uh was the serpent that was searching for the nectar for the um was looking to steal the nectar of the gods and it did uh, was able to steal the nectar and take some of the nectar before the gods caught up with the serpent and took it away from from Vritra. And then, but Vishnu um, hurled the discus at the serpent and cut it in half. But because it had already taken the nectar, it was going to live eternally and couldn't be killed. And so it's cut in half and the head is the north node and the tail is the south node. And so the serpent um, or the dragon is, uh, is, so it's cut in half and it becomes very powerful because it's the only thing that can swallow the luminaries. So it can block out the light of the sun or the moon, and that's what happens during an eclipse. And as the serpent uh, 
obscures or blocks or swallows the uh, the luminaries, the sun or the moon, that is a time of uh, release of the baggage, release of whatever we have going on. So we get to clear the slates during eclipses. And uh, the opportunity for awakening is greater during that time period. One, because we move out of the illusion of the duality of the sun and the moon, but also because the nodes, which represent the soul work, are being, uh, are in alignment with the luminaries, which is the ego and the the ego, the sun, and the moon, which is our ability to process and understand what's going on. Uh, so we're able to come into a greater sense of consciousness during those times if we allow that. So I usually recommend for people to clear your slate a little bit, not have so much going on in terms of your ordinary reality. Um, I think that's one of your questions coming up. <laughs> Well, no, that's interesting that you say that because I'm remembering that you've said that before and it's something that I've forgotten and I have so much on my schedule, <laughs> but it's not my ordinary reality. I'm traveling, but okay. yes, it is interesting because I, sometimes my plans will get canceled and it uh-huh. seems to align where it's like, oh, uh-huh. that's fine. So I'm going with the flow and not being too attached with things coming in and out. But mm-hmm. um, I've had a few moments where I'm like, whoops, I, I scheduled too much. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the um, the character of the South Node and this like tail of the dragon? I, you've told me before mm-hmm. that it um, sweeps up karmic debris. Um, And (laughs) that has always really stuck with me. So I would love to hear more about that. Yes, well, um, yes, the tail is the is the release part. Yeah, the sweeping away of the karmic debris. And it is, uh, it's called Ketu in the Vedic astrology. And Ketu represents our our desire to be released from life, what, what we want our doorway out, our wanting to get out of life. Whereas Rahu, the North Node, the head is the devouring. It's the materialistic part. It's the wanting, the desiring, the wanting to experience things. So Rahu, the North Node, the head of the dragon is the carpe diem. I want to just live life to the fullest. Who cares about anybody else? And the tail is, I want out of here. And so the tail represents often addiction or the desire to have alternate experiences or escape. So, um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the head and the tail. That's interesting. It, the image of this, so they're always in opposite signs. Um, mm-hmm. when they're traveling yeah. and how there's this portal that opens up of something leaving and something coming in. It's kind of like yeah. a life death portal almost. It feels yeah. like, how do you reconcile the kind of modern Western astrology meanings of the nodes with the Vedic ones? Cause I, when yeah. it comes to the Western or even evolutionary astrology, the South node is kind of stuff that we're bringing back up in this lifetime, like memories, it's the past and it's not just all bad. It's kind of like a suitcase that we've brought into this life or something. So it has some skills and talents and also some 
potential addictions and comfort zone stuff. But then the North Node is like, go towards it. It's your North Star. It's about developing something. And so I have, you know, I love the North Node. (laughs) When I think about it from the Vedic astrology perspective, it um, gives me pause and it makes me consider um, the deeper implications of my interest in the North Node, you know, but it's interesting to play with them both. Well, I I think that... Uh, there's a cultural difference uh, from where the Vedics and the the Hindu astrology comes out of and the Western astrology, and the the and the the work with the North Node, I I do think is important to develop on a soul level from the Western perspective. Uh, the the Vedas come out of this culture that is really developed spiritually, right? So materialism and desire for material growth is shunned or looked down on. And the North Node represents the desire for growth for our uh, for us to manifest. It's kind of the Shakti Gwain point of, you know, being able to create and visualize what you want and attain it. And I think any kind of negativity of, in the Vedas comes out of thinking that material life is not good. Um, I, I like to, I, I think that focusing on the North Node can be very empowering in a life, and it's not necessarily negative. Uh, I think it depends um, a little bit on the perspective of the person and what else is going on in their chart. Are you here to have material acquisition, and is the North Node a good point for you in in your Vedic chart? And then how are you working with what's in the South Node, planets around it? What are you coming in with? Are you coming in with needing to release a lot or is this a lot of gifts you're coming in with? So Mm, I think it varies from chart to chart how um, to work with that. But I've had to think about it a lot because (laughs) there is, uh, particularly in some of the more dogmatic texts in Vedic astrology, this strong negativity about the nodes. And I don't hold that. And um, my teacher, Dennis Flaherty, is, uh, he blends both also and works with both Western and Vedic. And um, I've learned a lot from him about working with the nodes, not as just being negative, but as, yeah, we need to focus on somewhat on where our north node is totally yeah Mm -hmm. i think the i've integrated it a little bit from recognizing that just as i can get lost in my south node or that's like kind of karmic baggage Uh that if i focus so hard on the north node it activates that to an extreme so Mm -hmm. it's still an an important theme in my life but can be um almost has an energy whirlpool around it if I were to get wrapped up in it. And so I'm curious what some common themes would be that come up during and around eclipses. Well, I think things getting eclipsed, right? Things not going the way we think they're going to go and other things coming along that have a bigger agenda, (laughs) 
And uh, as long as, like you were saying with your plans, that you're not attached, then things go much better during eclipses. I think it tends to not be a good time to start businesses or start things that you want to have last. It's a much better time for releasing. So I recommend people wait till after the eclipse time to get married or start a business or... Uh, because we're more likely, the things that we're more likely to start during that time period will carry the energy of that time period. And the energy of the eclipses is about disruption, uh, things that need to transform show up during that time period. The sitting with the illusion of the the feminine and the masculine or any kind of duality consciousness we have victim perpetrator uh, that the issue shows up more strongly during that time period and it can get blown out of proportion so the other thing that i recommend people do is if you feel like there's an emergency or crisis really ask yourself the question can this wait a couple of days for me to deal with it because also during eclipses sometimes just a couple of days makes a big difference and the whole thing can blow over even if it feels like it's the most emergency the biggest emergency crisis <laughs> right in the moment Three days later, it's something has happened that has shifted it all on its own. So I think we're more likely to see events that have a life of their own versus things that we can control. That makes me think about the tale of the dragon, like yeah. putting stuff up into the air and the question of whether we're grabbing onto those debris and reacting to them or just letting yeah. them settle again. Yes, it's like we enter into an altered state. And like in an altered state, you don't want to move too many things because when you come back into reality, uh, those things will come back in a different place. And the more conscious we are during the eclipse time, then we can focus, particularly with our third eye, and keep aligning with the truth of being in between the worlds just kind of like being on an acid trip uh, you want to have like something that keeps you focused in a certain way on your journey so that you can come back into your body with ease so what do you think about things happening during eclipse season like renovating something that already exists so it's not starting something new but could things advance or progress in meaningful ways during eclipse season? And if so, like, how would we help facilitate that? Well, I think that clearing can often support transformation and renovation. Uh, so uh, it's particularly good for tearing things apart uh, as part of the process so if you wanted to renovate, it would be good if you're renovating your home. It's a good time to take everything out and take it apart. If you're building something new and we have to live in life and taking six weeks off of life is nearly impossible for most people, especially since they don't actually tend to be good times for vacations either. Uh, just being more mindful of what we do during that time period. And if we get the message, like if we trip and fall down or if something starts going wrong, just stop, you know, just 
stop, chill out for a little bit, um, and watch the energy transform on its own. I think it can be a time when there's a lot of synchronicity. So there can be more things falling into place for us. Uh, so if things are not falling into place, just really take a break because it's likely it doesn't need to happen. Yeah, you don't have to push. Yes, right. No pushing. Whereas when you're not in eclipse season, we have some good months coming ahead with August, September, October, where there aren't big retrogrades, there aren't eclipses. And those are great months for starting new things. So um, and in this year, so waiting till that time period to initiate things that we want to have last. And then how do you personally interact with eclipses and how long have you been tracking them too? Probably since the beginning, because I remember teaching a class in the nudes, I think in 1998. So uh, I just try not to have too many plans during that time period. I've already, this eclipse season has already kicked in for me with this uh, full moon. I had a vacation planned, but it wasn't like going away or flying. And two things have already came in, so I had to cancel my vacation (laughs) in the last two days. So part of me is just witnessing it. I'll go about my life during that time period, but I'll also be aware okay, it's eclipse time. This is what's going on. I'm not going to stay attached. Uh, I'm not going to create a big vision about that vacation. It was easy for me to cancel. And then I rescheduled it for outside of the (laughs) outside of the (laughs) eclipse time so I could actually have the vacation. Um, How do you think you've learned that capacity for detachment when it comes to letting things just be as they are and, you know, versus the desire to have things be a certain way. Yeah. Well, it's meditation helps with that a lot. I think I've had a lot of loss in my life and I know you have too. I think having difficult things happen in life is a gift uh, that we get to see that this is, life is impermanent. But Spiritual practices really help. Uh, And I've been on a pretty concerted spiritual path since the 1980s. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's before you were born. (laughs) Yes. But it's cool to just see your consistency Mm -hmm. and the, the work that you've done for years. And I feel like in astrology and in spiritual fields, like the longer you're doing it, it's like it gets richer and deeper. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just amazing also to be able to track cycles that are a little bit longer. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, like the Saturn Neptune square in 2016, I wasn't conscious of it being opposite before then. I went Mm -hmm. back in time and I did some research about what was happening during that time but I know that the next time there's a major Saturn Neptune, like they're sextiling right now. Uh But when there's a major alignment, I will remember what happened in 2016 and how deeply I was feeling and interacting with that. And it will, there's just going to be, there's some kind of grace in that almost Uh like no matter what's happening, the beauty and the kind of 
design in a sense mm-hmm. of these alignments happening mm-hmm. over time offers some kind of spiritual grace, clarity, or something that makes it really rewarding to study astrology for a long time. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I thought my retirement is that I'm going to get better as an astrologer <laughs> and keep working for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's like, why stop though? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's a passion. Yeah. And then we have some eclipses coming up Um, As we're recording this, today is the 19th of June, and we have eclipses in July. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you have any perspectives to offer on kind of the nature of these eclipses particularly. Yeah, these are pretty special eclipses because they're lining up with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So not only do we have Saturn and Pluto joining hands exact in January of 2020, but the eclipses are triggering that. So I think we're in for some pretty powerful changes that are going on. I think the summer ones um, are not, they're not quite as exact as the ones in uh, December and January. So these ones I am looking at, like I've been paying attention to the things that are that dissolve or get disrupted during this time period, particularly uh, energy grids, like the ones that just uh, went out in South America, and looking at how we're dealing with energy and structures since these eclipses in the in the Western are happening in Cancer and Capricorn, so they have to do with our structures. And because of the alignment with Saturn, they have to do with structures and Pluto is creating transformation of these. So how are we dealing with energy? And uh, also, I think these have to do with our monetary system. So I'll be curious to see what happens with our markets during this time period, as if this isn't the time when the big shift happens, but more likely it leads into a shift that happens in the winter time. And then we'll start a new Saturn-Pluto cycle, and that's about a 35-year cycle, roughly. And that will start in... January 2020, along with this Saturn, Pluto, Saturn, Saturn, Jupiter. So there's a lot of shifting that's going on next year in our political and uh, monetary realms. So I'll be, I'll Powerful. be watching. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you? What do you think it does in terms of personal affairs or personal life? Mm-hmm. I think it brings forth to us, it brings us into awareness of the deeper underlying issues that we get to shove under the rug at times. So I, I think it'll bring up our story and gets us to see our story maybe in a negative way initially, but gets our attention about what, what we're holding on to and shows us that it's an attachment and the story if, if we're paying attention. Otherwise, I've watched a lot of people get really attached to their story during that time period and create a lot of chaos. So there can be a lot of destruction that happens during eclipse time because somebody is holding on so tightly to their, to their story or to the thing 
um, that they feel like they have to have it happen. And then I just watch it unravel. Like, well, you're not the final say in how everything happens around you. That's good insight because so, yeah, things can come up that are triggering or bring up a story. And then if we grip onto it really fiercely, we start to create chaos. Um, and it makes sense because okay. I, I think that um, since I picked this information up from you, um, when I learned it from you, it it kind of just illuminated in general how if we're in a really fearful place, like some event comes up and we respond to it out of fear, then uh-huh. it kind of creates like a monster in a yeah. sense. And it takes some self-control to observe that something triggering or scary is happening, but not get wrapped up or snowballed into it in such a destructive way. Yes. Um, and to trust that there is even space for that distance too. Yes. Before responding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's like definitely having some kind of meditative or spiritual practice is always helpful, but maybe perhaps especially so during eclipse season. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I usually uh, do add something to my spiritual practices during the eclipse time, uh, like a special new practice or ritual to my uh, to my morning meditation, or maybe I'll add something more in the evening. Yeah, Just to that sounds like a, a good idea. <laughs> give it a special, make it special <laughs> intentionally so that uh, it gives me the perspective more of what is going on in my life is meant to bring up the issues. Right. I've noticed during eclipse seasons that a pattern can happen with me where I feel very uncomfortable and upset and I'm not really sure why, or I'm a little bit on edge, Mm -hmm. maybe reacting to something. And it feels like a death, like Mm -hmm. it's so intense. And then later that day or that night, something really fantastic happens, like some special little magical miracle or peak experience. And it almost feels like I was like emptied before the arrival of something. Uh And even though it's a pattern and I've seen it happen, it still grips me or it still gets to me where it's like this emptying feeling that is so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I remember the pattern and that it's all going to be okay, but it's still so real every time. And then the thing Mm -hmm. comes and I'm like, oh, that's why I felt so awful earlier today. So, Yeah. And that's the work of the soul. The work of the soul isn't something that it has that power in us, right? That we don't always understand why something is gripping us so intensely, why, why we're getting so hooked. Uh, yeah, I just had that happen. I could feel these eclipses coming on and I was all feeling sorry for myself for being a single mom and kind of bummed. And I projected this onto someone and this person just 
her spiritual practices were deep enough that she could turn it around and she totally helped me through this process. So it became this, wow, you're not a single mom. I am. Poor me. <laughs> she just turned it around into helping me through this situation. So watching the, watching the whole process of that old story of mine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's powerful. You said the earlier thing too, about the duality between victim and persecutor. And that's been a synchronicity for me to think about lately is not feeling victimized. And it's like the smallest little thing too. I mean, it could be big things and these small things that make us feel victimized. And then to be able to alter that storyline is so powerful. And these seem like times where that can happen, um, mm-hmm. as well as times where we can kind of just repeat the same story or add another <laughs> layer of density to that story. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's um, it can be just so helpful to study karma and think about it so that mm-hmm. you can navigate life with that in mind. No. Yes. And you brought up another really good point was about death and the feeling like it's there's a death that's happening. Richard Hawk wrote a book called The Astrology of Death. And in it, he connects eclipses to actual dying and dying around eclipses, triggering our nodes or triggering other things in our chart. And uh, this experience of eclipses is being time out of time, like a doorway or a portal uh, a window into our soul journey and or out of this physical body. So there can be, whether it's the death of a part of our personality or a death of the container of the personality. Uh, yeah. So that reminds me too, you said something about the air quality changes during eclipse seasons, right? There's yeah. something physically different. Yeah, they did a study out of California, and I can't refer exactly to the study, but they put hydraulic balloons deep into the Earth's, and they found that during full moons and new moons, that the Earth actually expanded, and during eclipses, that it expanded even more, so that the molecules on the planet are literally pulling apart. So they're less dense. And this is why I think in the farmer's almanac and in the history of planting, we don't want to plant during new and full moons because the roots don't bond with the earth. Uh, And so we don't bond that much. That's why we bleed more during full and new moons. And this gets exaggerated during eclipses. Even it becomes more intense during those times. Yeah, it makes me think eclipses. um, And I'm sure... I've heard this before too, but they're not a good time for like elective surgeries. Like it's one thing if you're in an emergency and life is happening, but Mm -hmm. it's not a time to like book a surgery Mm -hmm. if you have time to plan when that is. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Mostly because we can bleed more. We don't, the, we, we don't heal as fast. The skin doesn't come back together. We don't form the, tissue doesn't regenerate as well and and yes and then you have to deal with the karma of your surgeon or your care team (laughs) and where's their head at and how awake are they in that time period 
And on the other side of that, if there is an emergency happening and if there's a great deal of synchronicity around it, it can be an extraordinary time for healing things that have been deep issues for long periods of time. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> deep healing. Um, do you, are there any other things about this eclipse season that you think are worth noting? I think paying attention to the times when Saturn or Mars triggers the eclipses. In Vedic astrology, I read that the most intense times are when the malefics, which are Saturn and Mars, come into an aspect which is like opposition, conjunction, or squaring the eclipse points. And so Saturn during this eclipse time is going to be at the eclipse uh, point. Um, it's It'll be really close to that. And, um, and then noticing that Mars, and I'm just checking my ephemeris to make sure that I say this right, um, Mars will be squaring them in October. And then when we get to the ones in December um, in January, those ones are also being triggered by Saturn. So I think really honoring the restrictions in our life that come through the form of Saturn and noticing what our ambition is and coming into right alignment between our ambition and what we're really being called to do, which may, there may be more humility involved in what we're really being called to do uh, and aligning the structures in our lives, which can be about clearing out the physical stuff in our life, getting rid of our books or extra papers so that we're streamlining what we're getting called to do with what the world is calling us to do, what we're being asked of. Mm. That is, that does sound like humility, like aligning our ambition with what is really being asked of or we're really being called to do. Um, it's like a little interior battle of ego <laughs> versus spirit. <laughs> So. Yeah, what's really needed right now? Uh, I think Saturn and Pluto together in their conjunction are asking us to really look at what's what's really necessary on the planet and how much excess are you creating and how do you want to transform that so that you're more in alignment with what is with potentially supporting the sustainability of the planet or our environment that we live in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that these eclipses, the ones this summer and then the ones in the fall and the winter are are turning points for us in terms of preparing for the coming revolution that I think is going to happen 2026 to 2031 when Pluto goes into that extreme declination time. And so this time period begins the cycle that that revolution is part of. And so 
paying attention to how we need to get personally in alignment with that a lot of the systems are going to break down during that revolutionary time. There's going to be a reformation. People are going to come into their power. And so the systems that have been sustaining us that have a lot to do with hierarchy, which is an illusion ultimately, or the this patriarchal powers, that that's coming down. And yet we'll have to find new systems that to fall into place, particularly around 2031. So I think these eclipses are really the wake up that these systems are not sustainable and they're not going to sustain us, whether that's the markets or whether that's our current form of government or our current institutions. Wow, I have yeah. chills right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of people that are working on new systems. There's a lot of uh, uh, places where these new systems exist, but they're outside of the entire system. I was had a, a Native American um, from the Nisqually. Nisqually tribe talking about the systems they're creating within their tribal structure that will be perfectly aligned to support us in the future. So places, different countries, different areas where people are off the grid, but they're creating structures that are going to be the things that we need and use once we start really taking down these um, the structures that are not really serving humanity long term. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that sometimes I watch like a deep cynicism in other people about the state of the world. And there's this fear that it's just ending and there's nothing else coming. But I feel like it is that kind of darkest before the dawn cyclical Mm -hmm. thing where there are new things that are coming into existence that we might not even imagine yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I just also try to follow my intuition and guidance and I feel pretty supported and like feel very connected and it doesn't seem that worthy of an investment of emotional energy and time to have a lot of fear, but just try to be in the right place at the right time and doing what's being called or asked and it lights up the way. Um, So I might throw you a curveball, but I'm just quoting something or an idea that you've already shared, but I want to get your perspective on that again, is that what do you think about the, what the internet and cell phones and this like instant communication that we have at a technological level says about the development of humanity in like a spiritual sense? (laughs) Well... I think we often create pretty toxic forms as we're experimenting and exploring. I think the steam engine had its toxicity. Uh, Coal, the use of coal has its toxicity. The internet has its toxicity. But I also think it's creating these intuitive pathways for us uh, as if it's one step closer to us being truly telepathic one step closer to us really being able to communicate without the actual systems, without the physical systems. So I think it's laying out some networking grids for us. I think so too, because I do have this experience of people texting me, right? when I'm thinking about them and like that happening in uncanny ways where it's not just 
no mere coincidence. It's, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but it's like the exactly. technology allows the confirmation of that. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we get reminded all the time, although very few people really think about this, that a lot is happening in the invisible realms. And all, all of this communication is happening in an invisible realm through this wireless internet, right? <laughs> but we're taking it for granted. But if we really tap in, we can realize how much more can happen in the invisible realms. I'm grateful for you saying that. That's one of the things that I love to talk about on this show is just like intuition and clairvoyance and contacting the unseen realm and how a lot of people are into it, maybe very deeply into it, but definitely people flirting with it where it's like the cultural perspective that it isn't real or that you're crazy for being into it, you know, keeps people from exploring it more fully. So I think it is important to talk about. Yes. I mean, once you have real experiences of it, there's no question about it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Watching my friend after she passed, she would just ask me to do something for her from being, she didn't have a body anymore, but she would ask me to do something. And then the very thing would happen instantly. Like the person would call me, or the thing that I needed would show up immediately. Um, and of, of course, that's happening. <laughs> it's just happening. Wow. Yeah. It's powerful. Is Yeah. I almost, I wonder too if that is um, comforting or if there's a feeling to it. Um, when you get to have contact with someone who's passed, like how that um, lands for you? I think in the beginning it was comforting, like when my sister died in 1987. And after that was my first experience of connecting with someone after they died. Sometimes now I feel like it's a distraction or it can be a pain in the butt sometimes um, <laughs> it's like you have to work to just keep my fields up or keep clear uh i i suppose so i might just be taking it for granted like when my parents passed um being able to have a connection or I sometimes it takes me a little bit to realize how most people experience the world, I think, where they don't have that connection and death can feel so final in every way. And I can see that that would be painful. I think that would be very difficult. Yeah, that's how I tend to feel because having these kind of mystical, synchronistic experiences or getting messages in dreams, I feel a deep sense of peace sometimes Mm -hmm. when things are appearing to be all turned upside down or all chaotic or there's loss. And I see other people that don't have that trust or they don't have the direct Mm -hmm. experience of contact with the unseen Mm -hmm. that would make them feel trust. And um, yeah, it's been so long that I've been 
interacting with the unseen realms, then it's hard for me to completely um, empathize. And at the same time, Mm -hmm. I still have experienced loss and grief. And so there is ways Mm -hmm. that I can empathize, but I'm, um, I think that there is something important about recognizing the life death cycle and how these things aren't necessarily as final as they seem, or there's Mm -hmm. more to the picture. Mm -hmm. And that can create peace and make room for renewal and um, for the whole process. So you're basically a legend in Olympia. (laughs) Everyone who has worked (laughs) with you has very positive experiences. Um, I even Mm -hmm. met someone at Norwalk and I was part of this like group of Aries women. We're all just realized that we're Aries and that we all had these remarkably similar experiences during the Uranus Pluto square. And one of them knew both my teacher of evolutionary astrology, Ari Moshe, and then had also gotten readings from you. And it's just this like bright, like, yay, like we have these, all these similarities and these similar mentors or the same mentors. And, um, Yeah, it's really amazing what you've done in the community. And I remember when I first saw Plants and Planets, it was my first time going there. I felt super activated and like super alive. And I was like, this is like, you can gather community around astrology in this way. And it was a really special offering. So given that you're still planning on working as an astrologer. Um, I hope that some people listening to this podcast um, can seek you out and get an astrology reading from you. It's definitely, I think, really a gift to get this Vedic perspective from you as well because of your experience in Western culture and your experience blending these two forms of astrology. So I think it makes it, it's like a bridge to that, the Vedic knowledge. So even though I, I just kind of plugged for you, how can people um, find you and work with you? Thank you, Sabrina, for saying that. That's kind. I feel very supported by Olympia and my community here. My website is astrologywithrosiefin.com, and Rosie is R-O-S-I-E. And that's the best way to reach me. I am going to be teaching classes in August online that are just some introductory classes to what I'm starting to call beyond astrology, which is using astrology to get beyond the limitations of prediction. And it uses sacred geometry and meditation and astrology. And so I'll be teaching nine classes that are introductory to that. And then I'm doing a workshop in Port Townsend in October. So uh, that's, uh, I think it's the second week, October 10th to the 13th. I love the beyond yeah. astrology concept. <laughs> yeah. I do think astrology can be so opening and present us with such possibility. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking with us and sharing your knowledge of eclipses with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Sabrina. You're good at this. <laughs> this is great to do this with you. It's, uh, it's wonderful thank to you. talk to you again. You too.
Thank you for listening. I hope that your eclipse season is so blessed and that you feel the support and guidance that you need to make sense of the soul work that is unfolding for you at this time in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear about it. Please take a screenshot of the episode, make an Instagram story about it and tag me at Sabrina Monarch and let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a blessed rest of your day. Thank you.